with my friends in Northern Ireland, I had a very thick local accent. I'd be like, what about you? I'll see you tomorrow for a wee bit of school, like. <laughs> and then I'd turn around to mum and be like, mummy, could you possibly put like ham in my sandwiches? Because I don't like when you put sweet stuff in there. And like, yeah, you know, total chameleon. This is Foreign Or, a look into the lives of expats, nomads, and third culture kids of all kinds. Each episode, I chat with one foreigner and cross-examine that individual to determine if they're really all that different. This episode, I sit down with Dill, a UK-Ireland dual national with a filthy sense of humor in English and Chinese. A salesman of spirits and a burgeoning viral video star, most of his life stories are NSFW, so plan accordingly. Yes. Uh, so, so you know, I've been, I've been cooped up in China for three years and change. Mm. So, um, you know, I, I used to fly back probably every three months. I'd be in Europe, um, sometimes for as short as 48 hours, back in my days of cross-border relocation sans tax of high-value goods. Um, <laughs> um, that was a long time ago, but, you know, this is now um, four, four years, nearly four and a half years since the, the whole family, my brothers and I and the parents, have uh, got together. So much-needed family time. You, you're you're going to be transported from four and a half years ago to now. What has changed? I mean, what what are the big things that have happened since everybody was together? Uh, well, um, both my big brother and I have got real fat. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just like just laying down the the essential the. The, the immediately visual, um, you know, the, the visual cues are, yeah, we've both got some man titties going on. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, you know, we're all like, um, you know, there's a little bit less hair. Um, and what there is seems to be streaked with a little bit of white and gray everywhere. But, um, but otherwise, you know, when the family gets back together, everyone reverts to family mode. So however much we might change in the eyes of our business partners and people we work with and people in our social lives uh, outside in the world, once you get all of us under one roof, we're straight back to exactly how we were as kids. You right. Know? There's and just so, more jokes and like a history of yeah. ways that you can take the piss of oh, each other. Constantly. And, like, <laughs> and, there's, and there's always a, a loving nut tap. <laughs> to be to be done you know like i mean we're three boys right so so yeah it's a there's a lot of whacking dicks um, <laughs> in a loving way you know we're that kind of family <laughs> um so what 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 kind of family are you where are you from originally you know talk to me like you don't know me well, so, what so do you, you tell the, people that's all these people now who are all like oh i'm a real child of the world and i'm like go fuck yourself um so i think it's i think it's kind of overplayed and um and people say that because they they went and did university in another country and i'm like mm. no so i'm not third culture um you know my both of my parents are brits um but they're both sort of I would say more global Brits. Mum was born in the Middle East and dad was kind of all over the ship shop. And like, uh, yeah, so so anyway, we're born in Hong Kong um, and then moved back to Ireland as kids. And then between Ireland was home in the holidays and uh, mainland England was uh, home during term time for boarding school. 
Um, and uh, and then, yeah, I always had like a house full of fake antiques. You know, my mum and dad would be like, they might, they might be real. You know, it might be real. I was like, no, they're all fucking fake. And, um, but they're, but they're, and, are they antiques from other places? So you can kind of like. You know. They're all like Chinese, Chinese yeah. fake antiques, right? Awesome. So that's so awesome. Like, that is it. Who who would ever call you out unless you finally get a China person? You know. I mean, I think even Chinese people would be like, "Huh, this could be real." You it's, know. I mean, um, I love yeah. a good fake. I mean, a good fake is it can be art. Uh, honestly, I will never forget my first um, touchscreen phone, which was a fake Samsung, and it was actually. <laughs> On the back, it said "Sum Smag," and uh, <laughs> and I got it. I got it in a market in Beijing, and it could still make phone calls, and the calculator worked. So, wait. So, so all but, three so, of you were born in Hong Kong. Yeah, and then all three of us went to school in England, and then after doing our sort of our twenties, uh, Charlie ended up in Australia, Justy ended up in uh, Canada, and I ended up in China. So, um, so when I hear you say, call yourself an Irishman. Yeah. So I, I, a dual national, even though when I was born, it was on a British passport. Um, I then later pressured my old man into giving me his birth certificate, which, um, you know, eventually he did. So then I could apply for my Irish passport. Um, Ireland's cool in the sense that they're like, if your parent, if either parent is or your grandparent was born on the island of Ireland, irrespective of north or south, mm. you're Irish and you can nice. get a passport. Nice. Um, yeah, I've I've been I've been really actually quite enjoying being Irish. Yeah. What does that I mean? What does that mean? Does, do your parents call themselves yeah. Irish? Uh, they call themselves Northern Irish. And your your brothers? I mean, do you all have Irish passports? Yes. I would say I would say all of us like still being Europeans, mm. um, because you know we were we were born on in the time when you know Europe was kind of happening, right? Like mm. the euro was introduced when we were kids, mm-hmm. you know, and like and I can I can still remember passport checks and you know having to have hundreds of different wallets with hundreds of different currencies. Mm-hmm. You know, and then suddenly we had the euro and we had all of this huge growth and everything was super exciting. And, um, you know, we were coming out to our villa here in Spain and we could see everything developing. Uh, and then obviously Brexit, which was just a fucking mess um, and is continuing to be a fucking mess. And and so, you know, um, after that, I just started to look at, you know, from an outsider's perspective, I was like, right, well, if I've got two passports, then actually the benefits of being British are kind of diminishing by the minute, you know, mm-hmm. um, on every front. So, mm-hmm. you know, keep it on the back burner, have it as, you know, something which I can use as ID for banking and stuff, mm-hmm. but for, for life and for travel and for visas, um, I'm transitioning everything over to the Irish passport just because Ireland's never been to war with anyone. <laughs> Right, <laughs> like find me somebody who's like I fucking hate the Irish. And interesting. Then, whereas Brits, everyone's like, well, this guy's a dicks with bad yes. teeth, you know. Absolutely. I'm just playing the. I'm just. I'm just gonna go for the easy route, right? I'm just like, okay, cool. So I'm like, yeah, I'm Irish with a weird accent, but check it, coming in, wolf in sheep's clothing, woof. <laughs> <laughs> so you, um, how old were you when you moved from Hong Kong? Four. 
05. So you ended up in a completely different place. Okay, hang on a sec, Sumo. I went from having a tiny balcony to having just shitloads of forests mm. and like and cows and fireworks and huge knives and bicycles and every week was a newly grazed knee or elbow or concussion or whatever. <laughs> it was awesome. And like I, I I don't I don't think that you can ever quite understand that as a little boy having that as your back garden. Yeah, it was wicked. Were you uh, going to school? Were any of you going to school in Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, we all went to school to an extent. My older brother, actually, he did like, he was, I think, seven or eight when, when we moved back. Mm-hmm. So he like remembers Hong Kong properly. Mm-hmm. Whereas for me, I was at the French school up on the peak and Justy was still like, you know, like Tiny. crawling around and banging mm-hmm. his face on counters and stuff. Okay, so you three, you five, all make it back. And then how, Then you are off to boarding school, like immediately? Much, yeah. Does your parent, yeah, does your yeah, mom just it. like kiss your forehead and say goodbye for months at a time? How yeah, old were you? pretty much. Um, I mean, we did like maybe three years of school in Northern Ireland, which okay. was awesome. And, um, and so I developed, like with my friends in Northern Ireland, I had a very thick local accent. I'd be like, what about you? I'll see you tomorrow for a wee bit of school, like. <laughs> oh, no, mommy's got me a shake fucking sandwich again. I don't like this. I don't, I just want, I just want something nicer in my sandwich. <laughs> and then, and then like, and then I turn around to mom and be like, mommy, could you possibly put like ham in my sandwiches? Cause I don't like when you put sweet stuff in there. And like, yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> like total chameleon. Um, and, and, and I think, I think that's kind of as, as life's gone on, you know, like um people, they listen to the way I speak and they mm. assume that I'm, that I'm a yank, right? Mm. A yank? Because, yeah, I get that a lot just because what? of the way I speak. So the accent is more Brit, but the way I speak and the way I stress certain words, the way I finish my sentences, basically a lot of people, even Brits, think that I'm a yank. Interesting. So I think it's, it's, it's odd, right? But, but then I think maybe people sort of hear what they want to hear Right. And they see that I'm loud, tall and brash and a bit of a twat. And they're like, well, this guy's obviously American. <laughs> well, <laughs> Sorry, couldn't uh, help it. No, it's OK. This is what this is for. Um, so you end up in in Irish school and then from there you're shipped off. Is Did you do anything wrong? Because in, in the States, when you go to boarding school, that's a threat that parents make. If you're a bad kid, like the bad kids get sent away to boarding school. That's what I have uh, in my mind. Well, I mean, yeah, but you guys have like military schools, right? right. And like, and like, and like uh, religious schools. Right. It's, in, in... it's definitely an idea of like being punished. Um, well, yeah, I mean, to, you know, if, if our parents wanted to punish us, they had more creative ways than going to school, right? <laughs> um, you know, like uh, my, my dad's favorite one was taking away shotgun shells. And, uh, I was just unable to kill anything for a while. And, and that, that really hurt. I was just like, what am I going to do with my winter? I want to kill shit. Like, Dad, what's the point in us having all this land filled with stuff for me to kill if I don't have any bullets to put in my, in my, in my, in my gun? <laughs> so yeah that was always a good one um 
and also um you know we uh, we always dad would always like he wouldn't really give us pocket money but if we wanted to buy something then then he could lend us some money for it but with no interest or anything but we had to pay it off by like you know taking a chainsaw to a, to a bunch of woods and mm-hmm. turning it into firewood or like whatever and uh, and so yeah, so Bank of Jimmy could suddenly just decide that he wasn't paying that day. And nice. we'd be like, Dad, you owe me money. I'm going into town. I want to go and lose my virginity, age eleven. <laughs> um, you know, it's gonna happen this time, Dad. I swear. It's gonna happen. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> With my like five measly pubes, and I'm just like, I'm a man now. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, he, uh... Can you pack me a sandwich when I go? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mom, this milk is cold. I wanted hot milk. God. <laughs> um, but you, um, you did get sent away at the yeah. ripe age of seven. But- but so, so, you know, first of all, Northern Ireland was still kind of dangerous then, right? So, mm. um, you know, there was uh, our local butcher got shot when I was, I want to say, like five, just in the village. And mm. there were bomb scares all the time, and, you know, checkpoints and everything. So, you know, it, it kind of made sense to pack the kids off to um, somewhere a little bit more where safe, where kids could just be kids, right? Right. Um, but also, you know, my family um you know we have a long-standing tradition of sending kids um to to Eton if they're boys and to other boarding schools if they're girls and so you know if I was gonna get into Eton then it was very unlikely that I'd pass the exam coming from the local high school in 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 Northern Ireland um Mm. And I guess I wasn't smart enough to get into the really good high school in Belfast or mum and dad knew that if I went to the good high school in Belfast, I'd probably end up smoking pot, which I did anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> so like, yeah. Anyway, look, you know, it seemed like the right choice for them at the time. And, uh, and yeah, fuck it. You know, and it, like the upside of doing boarding school as a kid is that when you're older, you can just you know, wherever you arrive, you sort of get your bearings in about two weeks and then you're home. Mm. You know, you're like, right, I don't speak the language, but fuck but it. You were, but you weren't, a, you know, a snotty, snotty-nosed, sad, crying seven-year-old when you ended up in boarding school because I think about, like, Harry Potter. Yeah, <laughs> actually, I read, I read my first, I read the first book of Harry Potter when the second one came out. And it was in my second year at, uh, so I was eight years old. Yeah. And one of the, one of the kids in my dorm, his mum worked in, um, she worked in editing or in fictional or mm. publishing or something. And she'd be like, oh my God, you've got to read these. So I actually got to read them like, and I was a total Harry Potter fanatic wow. way, before, way before the Harry Potter thing took off, which was around the fourth book. Um, and the same with His Dark Materials, uh, quite possibly the greatest children's book ever written, which would be nice. three-part Philip Pullman series, <gasps> a massive critique on God and organized religion, which I still think is a masterpiece and should be read by everyone, including all the listeners of this podcast. Excellent. Um, excellent recommendation. Um, your big brother was at the same school? No, he has dyslexia, so he didn't, he didn't get in. Um, oh, even, even, even when you're put down at birth, um, you still have to pass the exams. And, <sighs> and yeah. I know. So you're all ridiculous. alone. Uh, so I was all alone. Then when little bro arrived, he had me for company, but I was a total dick to him at boarding school <laughs> because, you know, that was the rule, right? Like you couldn't show favoritism to your, towards your little brother. 
I got him out of a bunch of scrapes, but I also was just like, nope, you've, you've shit this bed time for you to roll in it. And then I just like, you know, beat him while he was down. Cause it was very much doggy dog. Um, but you know, the good thing was that I was already um, bringing booze into the school using my big brother's um, provisional driver's license. Um, <laughs> and so actually I was, I was flipping booze from the age of around 14. Oh my um, gosh. Oh yeah. my goodness. Yeah. Cause I was massive. I was already like six foot one at 14, right? Baby faced as fuck, <laughs> but like, you know, I mean, I was massive. And, uh, and I had this ID and people would look at it and then they'd look at me and they'd be like, Jesus, this guy looks like he's barely hit puberty. He's a giant, <laughs> but like Mongo, you know? And I'd be like, yeah, I put on some weight. It's a baby face thing. I'm hoping to get more fur on my lips soon. And they'd be like, okay, cool. What do you want? You I'd know, like, work is really stressful. So I, I really need to drink. <laughs> I've been eating so much tofu. I don't yeah. know. It's like, <laughs> they say there's estrogen in it, but fuck it. It's just delicious and healthy. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. Uh, but yeah, so, so yeah, so it was cool. I was, um, I basically, as I said, the parents didn't give much of, a, of an allowance. I got, I think, 20 pounds a month. Wow. Um, which was enough to buy like one candy bar a day, <laughs> um, a small one. So I was like, right, well, I really like candy and I like <laughs> sandwiches and I like booze. So I would take all of my allowance at the beginning of the month and then I would just, I would make a like 50% profit on everything. Wow. Um, and so pretty soon I would have enough cash in the, in the kitty that I could not only afford to keep a certain amount of stock of booze for people who wanted it without pre-ordering, which I sold it at a, at a double. I just doubled the price. It was awesome. If, if, you, then, if uh, you didn't put an order in before, you sold? Yeah. If you pre-ordered and prepaid, then you got like a, it was like slightly cheaper. Early bird um, discount. Nice. Yeah, exactly. And then, <laughs> and then if, you, if you came to me and you wanted something at the last minute, I'd be like, well, I got a bottle of Bombay Sapphire and it's, and it's 35 pounds. And they'd be like, <laughs> are you fucking kidding in the in the shop it's like it's 15 and i'm like yeah i double it for everyone but because you're a dick i've added five pounds do you want it and they'd be like yeah <laughs> have you got any have you got any ice and i'd be like no go to that guy he's got ice <laughs> you know uh yeah no i've been i think i've been doing this for a while it's i guess it must be like i found my calling and then being a man of a fairly limited imagination i just decided to stick with what i was good at ever since so. Did you guys as a family ever go back to Hong Kong to visit or did you ever travel to China to tour? How did you get back to Asia? So we did, uh, we did two, uh, two trips to Hong Kong as a family. Um, and both times I thought it was awesome, but mm. I thought it was kind of boring. Mm. You know, and I was like, family yeah, family vacay. Yes. Yeah. Right. But, but yeah. also, you know, I was, I was like, huh, like, just seems like honkers is like where old people go to do business stuff mm. and 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 clubs uh, mm -hmm. but not the fun clubs with like you know 20 something year old girls in boob tubes and miniskirts <laughs> i mean like country clubs you know i was like i was like i'm not interested in that shit 
Mm. I'm 18. I am a raging bag of hormones, and I want to go out and get some nasty. So, um, <laughs> so then, yeah, there was um, there was quite a lot of uh, discussion, and I I said to my godmother, who's who's you know Hong Kong is originally from Shanghai, and I was like, mm. Auntie May. I've decided I'm going to go and see China and I'm going to spend six months. I'm going to travel from Beijing to Bangkok and then I'm going to go on from there. And she was just like, well, Bill, if you're going to spend time in China, then you should go to like Tsinghua and do a language course for for five months because any time after that that you're talking to a Chinese person doing business or anything else, then if you're like, I went to Tsinghua, and they're not somebody who also went to a top five uni, mm-hmm. then they're automatically going to kiss your ass and right. assume that you're superior to them. And you know what? At the time, I was like, man, that is so fucked up. But if she's <laughs> going to help me, if she's going to help me do all the admissions and stuff, then sure, I'll just, I'll roll with it. I'll just trust Auntie May. Right. But actually, over the years, it's come in super handy. Like mm-hmm. sometimes when you're dealing with somebody who, who's just like slightly turning their nose up at you is like, you know, oh, you're just a dipshit laowai. Like, what the mm-hmm. fuck do you know? And then I'll just be like, oh, yeah. When I was at Tsinghua, I used to run into people like you whenever we went down to the local bars and we met people from other universities. By the way, where did you go? And then, and then they'll just be like, oh, I went to... I went. I went to Jinan yeah, Tech, University. and I'm like, I'm like, oh, sorry, I haven't heard of that, but I'm sure it's fine. Anyway, back to the fucking deal, you little nong. Look at this contract and fucking sign it. Know who's actually in the position of power here, and it actually works with someone, honestly. Like, and you, and you know, when you're when doing business in China, you got a bullet, you fucking fire it, right? Like, you know, like it's like you just. <laughs> But you weren't of that mind when you were 18, right? You you just wanted to get out, get away from your parents, get away from, you know, the British boarding school and totally. explore. But I, I mean, I also agree with Auntie May that if you, you need that base of Mandarin, like you well, need I, to be able to get around, especially if you're by yourself, you were by yourself, no? Uh, well, I was never by myself because, you know, when you're Irish and you love to drink and you love to party, then you find friends pretty fast. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, you, you're not on your own for long. Trust me. And also, I was way less judgmental back then. I wasn't mm-hmm. the jaded fuck that I am now. I was mm-hmm. like, I was actually maybe even a nice person, you know. <sighs> God, Bright, bright eyed, yeah. accepting, yeah. loving. Yeah. yeah. So so you... you t- I'm assuming you took her advice. You ended up at Tsinghua for, for a course. It and, kicked uh, your and, ass. You know, and I actually, uh, I learned almost no Chinese because what? I discovered, well, because Wudalko was fucking wicked, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, you got it. At, at that time, it was 16 RMB to the pound. One six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So like, so I came out, I didn't have that much sterling saved up, but like it went so far and Beijing was dirt fucking cheap, right? (laughs) Like, I mean, you know, the the most expensive thing I did in that, in that six months was my, was my rent, which for a really nice brand new apartment, my room was 1,800 a month. Um, A walking distance to the subway. uh, 1,800 RMB. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in a brand new apartment with all modern, like, fittings. And it was, it was really nice, like, brand spanking new. Um, so anyway, I, uh, because the classes were 8 a.m. to midday, um, that didn't really sync up with my party schedule. Because 
because <laughs> I was, you know, I was out in like propaganda until five pretty much every day. Um, and, <laughs> you know, there was Zub, which was a wicked little tiny club there, all in Wodalka, which is like the student area in Northwest Beijing. Mm-hmm. And it was dirty. It was dirty as fuck. There was not a single real bottle of spirits in that entire district. But, you know, you, you had like, um, you had like paddles of 12 shots for a hundred quai. And right. they would- uh, yes, right. Like kind of wooden or plastic yeah. holders that yeah. just made the whole line of shots in a yeah. different shape. So it looked like <laughs> it was and, and, more of an event. And, and everyone was a different flavor. And like, <laughs> and, and let's say you were down in like, uh, you're down in San Lito in a dirty bar street, like the OG dirty bar street with Kai and Butterfly and all of those kind of bars filled with like degenerate expat brats, um, a few students and the gay and trans community of Beijing at the time, which was 30 people. Um, and, uh, and yeah, you know, we'd be there just sculling these shots. And the great thing is that like, because the fake alcohol supply was somewhat inconsistent, sometimes in the 11 bottles that were used to make your 12 shots, there would be one that was real. It wasn't often, but it happened. You know, so that's so, the real uh, variety. It's like different flavored, and one might be the actual alcohol that you were that's yeah. in the bottle. <laughs> and um, and uh, so we get absolutely blitzed on that. And obviously, then eight AMs were kind of tough. But I, I learned the basics. I learned enough to survive, right? Um, and then uh, and then I set off on my journey through China. And I had this book called uh, "The Search for Modern China" as my mm. like travel my travel reading. Mm. I mean, honestly, that shit's heavy, right? Like, I I would recommend if you're if you want to read it rather than trying to read the whole thing in one go, I would say leave it in the bathroom, and <laughs> and then just put your bookmark in and be like, huh. I'm taking an interest in, you know, mid Ching and I'm just going to go through and see what was going on there. And then you're like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to see, you know, why the, 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 the PLA is what it is today. And then mm. you look at the formation of the PLA and how it was structured and the transition from the sort of the warlord period and the, the KMT up into the PLA. And, you know, that kind of shit's fucking interesting. Right. And, and I had, I read it twice uh, while I traveled through China by bus and green train um and hike and i got a, a lot of lifts on motorbikes and shit whenever i got lost and i didn't know where i was going so i just like go and like stick my thumb out and then end up the guy would just take me somewhere to go drinking with his friends and show off that he'd found a, a laowai um so like there were a bunch of times where i ended up sleeping in people's houses and i had no idea who they were but they were really nice and friendly so i'd buy a bottle of baige and like a case of beer and they'd be like, no, and they'd be trying to like go, go back to the guy I bought it off and trying to give it back and, and like the, that I'd insulted them. And so then, mm. I was, then I was sleeping in like the, the head of the house's bed uh, and he's sleeping in his kid's bed and his kids are sleeping on the floor. And like, and there, this happened a load of times. It was awesome. And I just wish that, I, uh, that I'd actually taken more photos and, and recorded where I was and got their addresses so I could go back and visit them 15 years later and be like, Hey, can I sleep in your in your bed? So I'm gonna get a hotel next door, but can I treat you guys to a dinner to say thank you for your incredible hospitality Absolutely. and you know bring a bottle of bring a bottle of fucking you know 18 year old single malt or something and just be like you guys made my you guys made me love this country like if it wasn't for you guys I would have given up and fucked off years ago. Absolutely, um, Absolutely. And yeah. 
you left home at 18 and then you went to China and you stayed? Have you just stayed? Have you ever left? Have you ever spent a... I mean, I, I went back to the UK for a year and a half. Okay. Um, and I uh, and I did Paris for a year. Mm. Um, and you know what? Like, uh, I've, I have definitely thought about exiting more than a few times. Um, and then, you know, finally now, I think I'm finding a balance because I, I am very much tied to, to China. You know, I have, um, I have multiple companies in inside China working on various different things relating to whiskey. And, you know, I need to be there, not all the time, but I definitely need to be there um, at least half the year. So, so what I'm building towards, and this is actually this, this trip out for three months is like the pilot to see how well my team in China can do without me. Right. So um, you were slanging bottles of Bombay Sapphire when you were 14 in boarding school and then drinking all the fake shit in Beijing. Like where does whiskey enter into the picture? Well, so I was drinking all the fake shit because the fun bars served fake booze. Right. right? Um, there was, and there was like, so, and, and because me being me, right. Um, I find piss lager is fine mm -hmm. to have like a couple of cold light lagers. And what I call piss lager is, you know, it's yeah. lager that's, that's not made with malt. Mm. Or it, it has a tiny malt percentage, so it's not really got any flavor. And and I ended up um, going to a couple of whiskey tastings that were just mm. done. They were organized by a guy who would buy some bottles in the airport and mm. other guys who would bring a bottle from the airport. And then we would all chip in, uh, you know, 100 RMB per tasting. Cute. And, and, then, and then people would introduce it. And... And the thing is, I was just going and I was just chipping in and I was loving these flavors, right? Because, mm. you know, my, my, my grandpa was a big whiskey drinker. He loved his whiskey. And um, my dad loves, loves whiskey sodas, like highballs, mm. um, but he's a, he's a wino. So he, as kids, he tried to get us to be winos and he taught us and trained us to, to engage our palates and to enjoy wine. But all three brothers are major whiskey heads. We don't, we don't fucking drink wine. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway. Um, I love this grassroots whiskey tasting thing. I also yeah. feel like that's very much the spirit of Beijing in those days where there's nothing formal set up. So you just kind of like cobble together what you've got and just create and they, they've existed all over all over the world where it's just like you've got a bunch of guys who are stuck in a foreign country and they're like, right, well, we need something to do and we mm. want to have some fun. Mm. And, and, you know, a bottle of whiskey is, it's not cheap, but it's also, if you want to have the, the premium one, right, mm -hmm. then, and you don't actually think it tastes that great, then if you split the cost of that premium bottle between, between 15 of you, then it's a great night mm. and you chuck away the empty bottle, right? Or at the end of the year, you finish all the half empty, third empty bottles and, you know, you have a big piss up is normally how they do it. Um, but, you know, it's a, it's a great community and it's a great way for you to try different ones. And then once you found the ones you like, you then, you then buy a bottle or two for your own home, right? Um, and, I, and I started to get really into it. And then after, you know, the, you know getting, getting back and moving to Chongqing, 
I was like, well, the expats here don't do shit. Like, I mean, <laughs> there's like, there is nothing here. Like, what the fuck? Beijing was was awesome. And then, you know, you get to Chongqing and it was like, okay, we go to the one bar that mm-hmm. caters to foreigners and we drink that and then we have hot pot and that's mm-hmm. it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, I'm down, but let's diversify. So I started up a, um, a whiskey club. And then when I realized that there was just no real spirits in Southwest China, I started up an import distribution company for spirits. Um, that was a uh, an awesome learning experience. I ended up being uh, being arrested by my business partner, um, and I spent two days in a, in a cell, um, waiting yeah. basically to be pulled out, where he'd accused me of stealing my own company's stock. And it was only it was only when I proved that I had the documents to show that I owned the majority of the company and that stock was the property of the company that I was actually released. Um, yeah. No. So if that story one day you have time to tell properly in its entirety, because I know that'll be a good one. Let's do that. <laughs> Dylan, you have, you are one of the best storytellers I've ever met, especially off the cuff. You know, that's, it's very difficult to be able to hold the attention of a group of people and tell them all the details of, of how shit went down, whether those details be true or not. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> as long as it's um. entertaining. Again, it's a story. Remember this is a story. Um, so I hope there are Let's more see. to come, but I think I knew that this was kind of something that followed you guys into Shanghai, right? Was that, was it yeah, like your was, clear cut? Some- no, there was some there was some ongoing issues. Um, right, I, I I got massively depressed after that. I actually, um, my then uh, wife and my Indian bestie between them they paid for my round trip to um, New Delhi, so I could basically just get out of Chongqing. So I was super depressed. Um, you know when when your business partner and and your your bestie fucks you over on that kind of scale it's um it, it was the first time I'd, I'd i'd had that feeling and uh and it also put me uh, around twenty thousand pounds in the hole because i'd taken out a huge loan to buy the company off him and he'd uh he'd fucked me basically so holy hell and that's something that normally makes a foreigner cut ties with a place you know i know a lot of expats would that would just throw in the towel and say I'm done with this place. It sours my experience in this country and just throw all of that investment away. But you didn't do that. And you ended up staying and choosing to come to Shanghai. So what, I mean, what were you hoping? What were you hoping for? Well, so, so I, I called around, right. And I reached out to my, my friends. Cause you know, I mean, obviously back then the, the people doing whiskey in China, I think across the whole country, there wouldn't have been more than 30 of us Mm. in a population of 1.2 billion people. You know, that's a small fucking industry, right? So we all knew each other. Um, And so basically I just reached out to a few guys who I met through whiskey tastings or I'd met at events or who I knew were in the industry. And I was just like, yo, any of you guys know about anything going on? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm on the market and I need to pay off this massive debt um, pretty soon. And, uh, and actually uh, the guy who organized whiskey, whiskey L um, which is a whiskey trade show back then it was the, the 
thing and it still is actually mm-hmm. um and the, the founder of that he was like well my buddy uh, might be hiring why don't you meet with him and um and so then uh, I was taken on as the brand ambassador for Berry Brothers and Rudd, which is the oldest wine and spirits merchants in the UK. Um, and, uh, and, you know, I was, I, I was taken on and my, my, my boss out of Hong Kong, he used to work for Budweiser and uh, uh, AB InBev up in Northeast China before doing a stint in Shanghai. And then he moved to Hong Kong and I took his place in Shanghai. And, you know, he was, he was, um, uh very very corporate man and that was very good for me because i had been just totally wild right nothing nothing much has changed right but <laughs> he at least uh he at least taught me how to understand the way corporate people um think act and operate mm. and how to deal with them um so how to deal with him basically mm. um and uh and good. you know and so, yeah, I had, I had, a, I had an awesome time. I learned a huge amount. Um, I ended up transferring from being a brand ambassador for them to being the brand manager for Camus, who are the importer and the agent for all Barry Brothers products at that time. Um, and then I, I was managing a shitload of products. You know, my, my Rothy's went from doing 400 bottles in the first year to doing 4,000 cases in the third year. Um, and nobody really understood how I did it. And I, I can tell you the honest truth is that I just, I looked at the existing sales guys in Camus and I was just like, which of these guys likes me? Mm. <laughs> and, and I was just like, hey, dude, um, can you help me out? And can you, can you get your distributors to buy a little bit of stock? And I will support you by coming to your area and pushing it for you. I yeah. will come down and I will uh, just and- get sh- shit-faced with you. And like, <laughs> and... And we'll fucking sell the shit out of it. And he'd be like, okay. But this was so, what you were doing when I knew you. When I, when we were both in Shanghai, you were traveling like crazy. I think yeah. that's one thing that people don't understand about what you're doing. If you say I'm in the whiskey business, how much face-to-face needs to happen. And that means you are moving your person around all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, I was... So a normal trip for me would be fly out of Hongqiao into a city, immediately um, go to the distributor's offices, drink tea, train mm-hmm. his sales guys, get mm-hmm. back to the hotel, have time for a shower, and then into the banquet dinner where I drink two bottles of whiskey. Um, and then on to the karaoke where I drink another bottle of cognac. Um, and then I would get back to the hotel, force myself to be sick, drink a load of water. And then I would go to sleep and I'd wake up at 8 a.m. and get into a taxi and go to the airport and then arrive at the next city, sometimes with enough time to actually have a nap before I saw the guys and drank tea and then into dinner. And then, and sometimes I could get away with like, once you've been there a couple of times, then the distributor would be like, okay, we like you now. We're mm-hmm. not going to make you drink a stupid amount, but that was maybe twenty percent. We're gonna rest, we're gonna let you sleep. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, the the rest they were just like, nah, you know, this white monkey is getting fucking hammered. And I would drink them under the table. I would make them. I would leave them like puking left, right, and center. And I'd just be <laughs> like, I'd be like, ha, you just drank an entire bottle of 1980s, uh, 1978 Glenrothes. 
which by the way now is worth a fucking fortune. And these guys, they just buy it on the spot. They tell the distributors, they'd be like, I'm gonna take a case of this. Wow. Um, and like, wow. and I want to have one bottle right now so that I can drink it with these guys. And then they just open it, pour it out, and we just we just scull it. And then these guys would be puking it up and drinking more. And I'd be like, Well, fuck it, that's my sales quota getting hit. i'm like this is such a monstrous waste but i don't give a fuck because my bonus is secured Um, (laughs) oh my god oh my god i it's very funny but yes it's very disturbing in a way yeah i mean and and in between uh, during all of this obviously your mainland china right like the whole time pretty much yeah i mean i did some (laughs) i did some stuff i did some consulting work and i did some I did a couple of tastings in uh, in Taiwan, China, <coughs> uh, Hong Kong, China, and uh, and then also I did some stuff in Singapore and a bunch of stuff in the UK. But mostly, mostly, mostly was, you're with there. Chinese men. I'm assuming a lot of dudes, and you're speaking in Mandarin. Yeah, and my Mandarin was fucking terrible back then. I mean, like uh, they didn't understand what I was saying. Like, <laughs> like they did not know what I was saying. I was or just what like, they were saying or what was going on because they're yeah, puking. I mean, they're... I mean, like I, you know, we could sort of understand each other through the booze and right. like and but I mean, my explanations of what distillation was and everything else were just like terrible. But my PPT was really good. <laughs> so they could so they could read what was what what I was meant to be explaining, and I could sort of you know just say like some random words and Mm -hmm. with with the worst context i mean looking back at it i'm like oh my god like i just know that those guys were like i don't know what this guy's saying but i'm gonna have to understand this and what was amazing is that i would go out to like jiangmen like Mm -hmm. a total like asshole of nowhere city in in guangdong Mm -hmm. um and uh, the first time i'd go down um they'd all be asking me like so what what kind of what is why is there no xo like what is the xo of whiskey right and i'd be like no brandy and whiskey are different and they're like what's brandy Mm. you know um so i would be explaining to them the difference between you know stuff made from grapes or or fruit and stuff made from from barley and and then the next time i'd go back they'd be asking me these technical questions like really Mm. technical questions and actually that's where my chinese got good because I was like, shit, these guys, these guys want to learn. Mm-hmm. And they want to understand. And I need to be able to uh, explain to them what, 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 what's going on. And so actually, I, 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 I really knuckled down. My Chinese got a lot better. Hey, whiskey or the devil, you're leading me astray. Over hills and mountains and to America. Yes, we for stronger days and are as funky are not and then yeah and then i and then i got bored of um of the corporate life mm-hmm. uh, i got very bored of it and i also got bored of of you know destroying my liver at such a ferocious rate um and so i sort of i just booted all of that and went into independent cast trading and then to where i am now and and you know now I mean, I, as you know, you know, I, I still, I still love, I love me a drink, but you know, when I want to stop, I stop. So how did you, how did you get out? I mean, cask trading? Yeah. So cask, cask trading is like, you know, whiskey comes in barrels, right? Mm-hmm. So um, most of those barrels are owned by the big companies that mm-hmm. we know and we see the Diageo's, the Pernos and everything else. Right. 
but then there's also a lot held in private hands and mm. those barrels in private hands um you know they can sell for astronomical prices and um and yeah so so i was flipping you know a barrel which costs a hundred thousand pounds in scotland i was selling for a hundred and forty thousand pounds to um chinese and global buyers actually um and the margins were glorious, you know. Um, and then, you know, back then the bottling lines were bad, but it wasn't too bad. So you'd help them get it bottled and help them get it imported. Um, so you're connecting and, yeah. these, you know, high value, high wealth buyers with the high value sellers using your Mandarin, using your connections. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing the import export has all been sorted in another space. We don't have to get into it, but it's um, like I actually for, for for entire barrels, I I generally would encourage people. I wouldn't I wouldn't prepare documents if I knew it was going to go through the vortex, as we, right. we like to say. Um, but uh, you know, I would just say, okay, well, I'll transfer it over to your account in Bond in in Scotland, and you can do what you want with it. Hmm. Um, but like, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, that the, there was there's some some good stories there. Probably not not good for the public dissemination. Um, but um, but yeah, um, the the and then essentially the transition to get out of all of that, um, the like the heavy drinking and the the crazy lifestyle is. Um, I tried to set up a um a whiskey backed stable coin mm-hmm. um a few years ago. And the idea was to buy up a monstrous amount of whiskey in in uh, Scotland and then basically sit on it. And as it increased in value, we would issue more more stable coins, right? And mm-hmm. then if and then if there was ever any uh, if we sold off any of the the whiskey or if it reached a point where it wasn't worth it, then then what we would do is we would then convert it into other other currencies and we would have this basically. It was a way to the, the the goal was to get in on that crypto boom that was happening at the sure. time, and and just get like a fucking massive wedge of investment mm-hmm. because I knew that if I could buy up the barrels and collections in Scotland that were available at the time, I knew that it would be a major payday. I had no idea how much. I mean, four years ago, five years ago, the collections that I was looking at, which were going for five million pounds, are now worth around forty. Wow. To give you an idea. Um, wow. It's nuts. It's just nuts. Like, I mean, there were like, there were. And is that just because of, there's exposure? Like, there's more buyers that are pushing up the price? Yeah. Demand, massive mm. demand, and a lot more traders in, in the environment. Sure, sure. And there's just no supply. Right. So, so you know, the, a lot, the problem is now that a lot of the traders out there, you know, you have guys who are selling products where they are five places disconnected from the actual seller Mm. um and you know i find all of that kind of dodgy kind of unethical and to be honest most of them are shit hawks so after starting multiple companies and having uh, our own product lines and consulting company and the, the the social media company and everything else um the the only kind of whiskey as an investment, which I do now, is not a stable coin. It's got nothing to do with crypto. But what I do do is I turn around to a small group of investors that I have. There's about 40 of them. 
And I'll be like, right, I found this barrel of Lafroig 17 sherry, right? This is the one I did last week, right? Mm. And I'll be like, it's expensive. I think it, it's not good value mm. if we were to bottle it now. But mm. it's, it's been in this sherry cask since it was filled 17 years ago, which is extremely rare. Mm. And it's 59.9% ABV, wow. which means that it's, it's very, the angel share, like the loss of alcohol and water per year is very slow. Mm. And I'm like, there is a chance this motherfucker could make it to 30, mm. but it will definitely make it to 25. So I'm like. Meaning the ca- cask itself. Yeah. So you're like betting on the futures of yeah. these. <laughs> yeah. So, I, so I, I turn around to the guys and I'm like, this is, this is for any of you that want to make a long-term bet. This is a great long-term bet. Wow. And, and then, and three of them were just like, uh, yeah, I'm interested. So, so basically three guys got together and, and bought it. And, and so now what I do is I help them each year. Um, you know, I manage the barrel and then, you know, in, in a couple of years, I'll get them to draw a sample and check that it's aging. Okay. And then a few mm-hmm. years after that, I'll do it again. And then, uh, and then, yeah, you know, um, I, I'm basically, I'm helping them out and, you know, I make a percentage on the, 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 the initial sale. And then I and then I charge a very small annual to keep an eye on it for them and to manage it for them. Um, and then this way, I know who I'm dealing with, um, and they have to cons- between them they have to agree, you know, when they want a bottle. Or like one guy might be like, "Hey, I want to I want to sell my third of of this whiskey barrel. What's it worth now? Dill, give us your estimate. Okay, you know, do either of you two want my third of this?" Mm. And, and then, you know, he can just cash out and the other two can sit on it until it gets to 25. And then at 25, one of them might be like, you know what, actually, I don't want to wait another five years. I'll cash out wow. and the other guy, you know, and, and so, so it's, it's, so it's quite hands-on it, and I don't want that many investors. Like I, I would rather keep with like 50 or 60 guys and girls who I know and mm-hmm. who over the course of time, will get to know each other. Right. You know? Right. And, and then, you know, I, I mean, in an ideal world, once COVID starts to relax, um, I like the idea of being able to say, okay, so, you know, um, we're going to do our, our every, every six months, we're going to do a get together and everyone chips in, you know, 2000 RMB ahead. And we have like an awesome dinner in Beijing. And then six months later, we have an awesome dinner in Shenzhen. And then wow. six months later, we have an awesome dinner in Taipei. And, and just like, you know, awesome whiskey, everyone gets to meet each other. And, and, you know, and, and, and these are the kind of guys who can, you know, all of them are investing one to 20 million RMB per year in whiskey. Um, I have a question. Does anybody, uh, I know that you have been committed to, to whiskey in, in particular, but also spirits is like the thing that you sell, but do people ask you if you know where to like, get gray market jewels or- <laughs> uh so for, for i do get people asking me um about cigars and watches okay okay um i get a lot of inquiries about cigars and watches so that's that's Jewel the world is- but nobody's asking you about like arms <laughs> and 
because yeah. it's a very specific group of people that you've like managed to to gain the trust of and vice versa. So yeah, I would imagine then, that there's a lot of people that are like, hey, well, you know, maybe Dill knows a guy. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, no, I, I stick within my niche. You know, I, I've got my niche and I, I, I know my strengths. And when when people come to me and they ask me about something which I'm not familiar with, I'm very, very clear. I'm like, you know, look, I can tell you what I know, but that's right. not much. Right, right. But um, you are kind of branching out. You're not just sticking to these high society, private, behind closed doors deals. You're about to go public or you've been public in, in China for some time. So what have you been moving into now? So, um, so I'm now, myself and my partner, Nick, we are the Kofco, so the state-owned enterprise for oil cereals and alcohol um we are their consultant on foreign spirits hmm. so that's pretty cool it doesn't pay shit but it's pretty cool um and uh, so i've designed a blended whiskey for them which is a work in progress and that's exciting because it's you know i've always loved brand creation and brand story but uh, this is on a, a scale like i've never seen i mean right you know, we're looking at per order, we're looking at around half a million bottles. Hmm. Um, so there's, there's that side of the business. Um, and then also, you know, there's, there's working directly with brands um, because I've got my, my Laojian Herbudao account, which is now 650 or 660,000 followers. And so I'm working very closely with, uh, with and Diageo. And, what, and is, what is that account? What is that, what uh, is the platform? It's on Douyin, the Chinese TikTok. And um, yeah, I started that just because I, I hated giving money to uh, KOLs who mm-hmm. would like, I'd have to give them, you know, 35, 40,000 RMB. And then they would just put, pick up my product, say the tagline, like dead eyes. <laughs> and like, and then like, and then it was done. And I'm like, wait, what? What? Like, no, like, fuck you. This so instead, you were inspired to make your to own to be videos. that guy. Yeah, to be that eyes. guy. Yeah. So, uh, so I, I said, you know, fuck it, and I, I invested. I not it's not a huge amount of money, but I invested around fifty odd thousand per month um, on a on a shit hot editing crew. Right. Um, they they organized the camera team, and then uh, and then also on a whole load of random bijos and beers and other weird and wonderful things. And I was just tasting stuff on camera and reacting totally naturally. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it exploded. And I had like, I had like 5,000 followers and then I had 10,000 followers. And then I had like 150,000 in like three months. And I was like, I was like, whoa. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Fun. and yeah. So you are going to be taking this super epic journey, Europe side in the car, vlogging, so um, can you tell us a little bit about that? And then how can we see it? Um, so it's going to be um, starting in Seville and doing a whole load of bars and restaurants with um, two great friends who I know from, from China days. So I've got a Beijing friend who owns a chain of wine stores. And I have um, a Shanghai friend, Ollie, um, who's worked in the wine industry for years. 
And we're going to go down to uh, Jerez de Fontera and we're going to go to the Gonzalez BS heart of sherry and try all these super sherries. And then we're going to do the road trip up the coast uh, through Portugal, through uh, Lisbon into Porto, where we're going to do a full port tour as well. And yeah, we're going to be capturing all of it. Sadly, I think it's going to be on Douyin, though. So uh, we'll see. Maybe, maybe I'll be able to do the next trip in English. I don't know. And now, actually, when I go to London, I'm going to be talking to some people about trying to do some YouTube stuff and some more international, you know, outwards facing, maybe, and also record a couple of documentaries um, with with an angle that it's like. You know, I can I can do things in English that I think maybe if it's well coordinated, that it would be interesting to everyone. Mm. Um, and up until recently, I just thought that I was good at making foreign spirits sort of seem acceptable and palatable to Chinese people. But uh, I'm starting to get the impression that I might actually be able to do something along those lines for, for, for the rest of the world too. And if I can, then why not, right? You know, like... <laughs> Go day drinking with Dill on Douyin. Find whiskey freedom on WeChat and wherever you are, whatever you are. Never let the truth get in the way of a good story. 